HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Hola familia, welcome to a new season, season four of Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Sanchez, alongside my beautiful mother, Sarela Martinez. And my mom and I have been reading emails and listening to all of you dedicated listeners, and we have answered the call because we're going to kick off this very exciting season four. And by the way, we are very much appreciative for your consistent support and listening and interest and Mexican ingredients, cooking techniques, and cultural aspects. We are really excited about that. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed having all that was wonderful, extremely talented and knowledgeable guests that we've had in the prior three seasons. We all want you to know that my mother and I are constantly trying to find new people to educate us as well as you uh, about the beautiful wonder of the plethora and cornucopia of Mexican ingredients. So here we are. Um, Mom, I think... We have uh, a really beautiful subject matter that we're going to tackle today, um, which is something that a lot of people have a strong, strong opinions about and absolutely love, which is tamales. Yeah, of course. You know, like I always say, el que nació pa' tamal, del cielo le caen las hojas. And you and I are one of those lucky people that were born to be a tamal, and corn husks and all other kinds of leaves have fallen to, to the floor to the ground, and we have used them to fill all kinds of wonderful tamales. Absolutely, Mom. And, you know, let's, 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 if we want to start, Mom, let's talk a little bit about what the definition of a tamal is. Or is it tamale or tamales? Well, there's, a it, little bit, there's a little bit of, of, of sort of misunderstanding as far as how, cause how, they're, how they're pronounced and how they're spelled. Because if you go to certain places in Central America and South America, it's just simply tamal without the E. So, well, that's the way it is in Mexico, too. But, you know, mm-hmm. since we're in a, live in a bicultural, bilingual country, everybody says tamale pie, mm-hmm. tamale. And so, you know, when you're writing about it, most people will put tamale, because if you put tamal, people don't know what you're talking about. But exactly. what we're talking about is samasa, either plain, well, always, not always, well, I've changed the definition to, to, to the masa situation. Mm-hmm. You should be... Lard, corn masa, and salt. 
and, and, and then you, you beat it, beat it, beat it, beat it until it's so light that it'll float on a glass of cold water. Mm-hmm. You can do this in the mixer, or you can do at the ranch, they used to do it with their hands, like this, lifting the masa up. But it can mm-hmm. only be one person that touches the masa, because if it's more than one person, it turns sour, or so they say. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so I uh, but I, I think it's important to also mention it. Now, this is another very sort of interesting point. It has to be ground masa, a ground, you know, mixed amount. Or cracked, or, or, or cracked for or, a certain amount, or cracked for, for the sagawil, but we'll talk about that later. Yes, absolutely. Um, but it should but, you be know, ground coarse. Yes, not, ground not, coarse. Not, 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 not like tortillas. Exactly. And, 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 just to, and just to answer that, if you look at all the great... Uh, companies that bring masarina or corn flour to the states, maseca being one of them, but uh, they now have started because the, the demand and popularity of tamales has grown so much that they make a specific grind just for tamales, well, just for the, de- for the a coarser grind, like you said, mom. Yeah, let's just define masarina. Yes, masarina is dehydrated corn masa. It can either be fine ground for tortillas or, or, or coarsely ground for tamales. And then you reconstitute it. Most people reconstitute it with water. I prefer to reconstitute it with chicken stock so that it has an extra layer of flavor. But things are changing so much right now that you go to many supermarkets, particularly in California, even here in New York, they're starting to come. But you can go get real masa, just fresh masa by the pound. Mm-hmm. So, so tamal making is about to be totally revolutionized because now, in especially in New York, and I understand in many other places in the country, people chefs are using native corn, which is mm-hmm. totally different from from the corn that we use here in the, in, in the United States, which is flint corn, which is very hard corn. Mm-hmm. So it makes it you know. So what you want, what you want is a certain kind of corn that 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 will be fluffy when you cook it. So you know the, the recipe. Is three parts of masa to one pound of lard, and you might say and, that and, that. And I always put two cups of, three, I go I go three to four mom of masa depending, one cup of lard and two cups of broth. That's that's the recipe I use, and that's okay. off of you. No, and no. Usually it's it's it's, pro, it's proven perfect every time. No, that's perfect. I'm happy about that. But the way mm-hmm. that I would like people to follow, and I'll tell you why, is. One pound lard, but it has to be home rendered, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. possible. And, and then three pounds of masa. Because, and people say, oh my God, that's a lot of lard. But what happens because it's going to be, you know, beaten so hard and lard has very thick, big crystals. When you steam it, all of the fat comes out or most of it comes out into the water, the, the steaming water. And you're left with this wonderful, fluffy, delicious dough. Mm-hmm. That is either filled or unfilled. What do you prefer to fill your tamales with? Well, let's just talk really quick before we get into the fillings and how we do it, Mom. But I think it's important. The, there's many different styles of tamales. I think we need to say that just out, out, out there because I have traveled a lot in Latin America and seen different versions of it. Obviously, we're talking about the Mexican um, style, the Mexican version of the, of the wonderful tamal. But... Uh, you know, we're talking about lard, which is essential to to what how we grew up and what is traditionally Mexican. But the question some of our listeners might have: Can you not use lard? You know, can you use another kind of fat? I think that's well, important. A question to mention as well. Well, you cannot use oil because yeah. see, because there, you know, the problem is the crystals that I tell you that the, that the, that the fat is composed of. You know, if you use home rendered lard, it's two thirds unsaturated. Mm-hmm. 
and butter is 50% saturated. So if you, for health reasons, you don't want to use lard, butter is much worse. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. that's 50% saturated. And it doesn't come out as much in the steaming. I mean, it might be good for some tamales, but not good for everything. Yes. I mean, if you wanted to do like, a, you know, be creative and do a chocolate tamal and, and, and then, you know, do it that, maybe butter might work for that application. But what is the, what is the masa, what does the lard do, the manteca do to the actual masa? It kind of brings it together. It unifies it. It gives it that, that necessary element that, that, put, that binds it, that almost puts it together. Right, mom? Yeah, it does, and it's mm-hmm. and it's and and it also it has a lot of flavor. It, it almost act, it almost activates the starch. It almost it, it kind of works in this very interesting medium to give it moisture, to give it flavor, um, and uh, it's sort of like the, the the catalyst for the texture. I, I, yeah, absolutely, because I tell you, it has very big crystals, mm-hmm. and that and that allows much more air to come in and make the dough fluffier. Now, of course, some people in Mexico, for instance, will use other, like something like tequesquite mm-hmm. or tomatillo leaves, you know, mix it with tomatillo, a tea made with tomatillo leaves, which also makes it a lot fluffier. Yeah. So sometimes so, you, yeah. yeah. There's other things you can add to the actual masa to, yeah. to give it some, some more body and some lightness, correct? Tequesquite is the, the number one thing, the traditional thing. But like yes. I tell you, you can also use the leaves of your tomatillos the husks, uh-huh. make a tea and use that as your as your liquid. Yes. Okay. You have this now, liquid. so we talked about masa, how to get it. Now let's talk about the wrapping, shall we, before oh, we get into fillings? That's a wonderful subject. Yeah, let's talk about, so now we have our masa, okay, for everyone listening. Uh, we talked about the different variations, the coarseness, the, the, the importance of manteca, which is essential. Now let's talk about wrapping, shall we? Yeah. Um, well, so well, the, the traditional... traditional one, yeah, is ahead. the actual it's the corn husk, right? The dried, the dried, corn. the dried, dried corn husk. Because there's some tamales that you use the green one. Mm-hmm. You know, like like tamales, de, yeah, tamales de lote. Mm-hmm. You know, the sometimes you use the, the leaf of the tamal. You know, which you, for tamales de amarillo in Oaxaca. You use the leaves, and sometimes you use the you know like uchepos, for instance. I've seen uchepos in Michoacan with with green corn leaves. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and fold it a certain way. And fold it a certain way. The, the times I've seen them in, in Michoacan, they've been used green. And then if you go down to Chiapas, uh, Quintana Roo, the Yucatan, you're going to see banana leaves at time, right, Mom? Uh, well, actually, everywhere in Oaxaca. Everywhere, yeah. That's, those are the two major things. You know, Jane Siegel, who went with me to Oaxaca the last time that I was thinking of moving there recently is now doing a, a, a study program at Criollo, this amazing restaurant in Oaxaca. Mm-hmm. And they had these tamales that they're putting on top of avocado leaves, mm-hmm. which I had had. You know, avocado leaves are anise-scented, mm-hmm. so they have a whole other flavor. I had had them in a very different way, but between just the two leaves of the avocado and steamed. But this one's a wrap in a certain way that, the, that you put beans on the avocado leaf, and then, and then the masa, and then you start rolling them. I have a recipe for them in my Veracruz book. It's called Tamales de Capita. So you, mm-hmm. on the banana leaf, you put the, the, the masa, then you put the, the, the frijoles on top of the, of the hojas, of the avocado leaf, and start rolling them into like a jelly roll. And then you cut them, and then you have this, and tie them, and you have this little beautiful, little round, 
presence of of masa with with beans inside of it. Cool. So we talked about wrappings. Now we have we have the masa, we have the wrappings. There's different styles of wrapping the uh, masa, yeah. which is interesting. I think the more traditional route is the, you know, the little masa, kind of folded over both sides, and then and then the bottom end is kind of is kind of folded up, and then you want to kind of leave, I'd say, about an inch, an inch and a half of space on top to really allow the steam and the moisture to kind of get in there and cook them evenly. So you don't want to overfill your tamales. I think that's important to mention. One of the things we, we do when we have we do them at the restaurant is we lay out all of our, our, our rehydrated corn husks, dried corn husks, and then we use ice cream scoopers. So we, well, that's that means a great idea. yeah. So we have four you know four ounces or whatever it is, six ounces depending on what we're doing with them, and that way we have the consistent amount of masa for every tamale. Yeah, that's very and, good. And it, help, and it helps us keep consistency. That's sort of the restaurant. That's sort of the mm -hmm. restaurant thing. But mm -hmm. normally at the rancho, we used to make tamales. All those women would come around to the house, and one person would be in charge of, of the leaf, you know, drying it because it's been soaking, of the of the corn husk. Then the other you person mean you would, mean reconstituting them? Reconstituting, yeah. Then the other person would be in charge of spreading the masa, and you usually start by the, in, in the middle of the, of the leaf towards the, the the wide side, you know, and then you. Decide how fat or how thin you want them, you know. But people always say, "How come you're putting the masa so thinly?" Well, I like the masa to be thinner, but a lot of people want a, a lot of masa, so you have to know what people like there. Then the that's, other that's a, and that's a good, that's a good point, Mom, because you want a lot of people uh, value the filling more than the masa at times, right? Yeah, but you know, their tamales they don't have anything in the masa. You know, yeah, they might course. have a few seeds, you know, that that you can use as a side dish, let's say. Yes. For instance, you know, you can you can mix in corn and poblanos and cheese, and uh, directly into the masa, and just put that in 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 the middle of the husk and in a little ball and roll it, and you have this delicious little packet of corn with crunchy corn with. So what we do at, at you know at Johnny Sanchez, which is in New Orleans, and I hope everyone has an opportunity to come down and visit with us, but I do that also with my sopes. I do this with my sopes. I do it with our tamales. Is we actually take some roasted corn, especially when in season, oh, and then fold that. that into and fold that into our masa to you give a little textural pop of sweetness. Yeah, I love that. So we do that with our sope mixtures, and we do it with our tamal, and it, and it just it really makes a big difference. So um, we talked about let's talk about some of the traditional fillings, right, Mom? Because I think it's important to mention you just you talked about probably the one that people, you know, I think one of the maybe top three popular ones, which is Poblano rajas, rajas with cheese, right? Exactly. Which is roasted poblano onions, and then a, a nice little sort of spear of cheer of cheese. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other ones. If, sometimes when you go to traditional places, you have a beef, chicken, pork, and pork, then and, and done in regional style. For instance, if you're yeah. in Veracruz in, in Oaxaca, you usually go with mole negro or, or any different kinds of moles, you know, because they all taste a little bit different. Some are sweeter, some are, you know, have nuts. You can do it with pipián. You can do it with, with just about anything you want.
This episode is supported by HRN business member ClearCogs, as in cost of goods sold. ClearCogs saves restaurants money by providing daily food prep forecasting to help reduce food waste. Using historic restaurant transaction data and custom machine learning models, ClearCogs predicts how much of each ingredient or menu item needs to be prepped on each day. To learn more, visit clearcogs.com. That's clearcogs.com. ClearCogs supports HRN's creative, educational reporting and storytelling that drive conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Before we totally get into the fillings, let's talk, I forgot about to mention two, two other wonderful leaves to rub in. In Yucatan, they use chaya, which is a green leaf similar to hoja santa, which is another leaf that's used to wrap tamales in, in, in Oaxaca, you know, when they use the mole or not. You know, you put the, you put the masa, then you put the hoja santa, then you put the mole on the top and wrap it, and you have this wonderful anise flavor. And then the chaya, the, the tamales called brazo de reina in Yucatan. And that was kind of like a real herbal kind of flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, again, there, there's nothing to say that you can't add additional flavoring, uh, another another element inside the actual wrapping to Absolutely. really sort of add a punch of flavor, right? It or just, in the it doesn't masa. Have to, or in the masa, yeah. And uh, so it, it's not just as simple as just straight having your straight masa or your dough and then putting a filling. And you can you can augment that, and that is something that's regional. It's something um, that really depends on again on what the style of the tamal is. So. That's a good idea, Mom. Have you had the chipil tamales in Oaxaca? Yes, I've had the chipil. Chipil, which is this kind of wild sort of herb. I mean, they, they're very well known for the sopa de chipil, you know, in Teotitan del Valle, where they put the, like, sometimes they put in uh, uh, squash blossoms in there as well that I've had it. But the chipil, Mom, they make the tamal de chipil. And how would you describe chipil? It's a, it's a grassy flavor. Yeah, it, it kind of tastes a little bit like purslane. I've had that kind of flavor, but not not so much. More like a pasote, kind of. Yeah, more like a pasote. Yeah. It's 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 kind of a at the beginning you have to get used to it, but you know what what they also do. Let's say that you have over some leftover tamales de chipil. What they do is that they cut them in slices, put them in a casserole, put crema and cheese on top of it, and bake it as a casserole. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, that's smart. So, so I you like can that. do that with any leftover tamales that you have. There you go. That's a good tip. Um, so now, so let's talk a little bit about fillings, right? We we know that if you go to some sort of Tex-Mex or kind of run-of-the-mill Mexican restaurant, 
At times, you'll you'll be asked or you'll see on the menu, do you want pork, chicken, uh, beef, or, or or rajas? You know, rajas with you know with cheese, tamales. So those are kind of the more generic ones that you would see. But there, like you said, mom, there really is no rules as far as your fillings. But ideally, it has to be a filling that is slow braised. So because you're and not necessarily, flavorful. yeah, and flavorful. You're not cooking it in the tamal. You're sort of reheating it and allowing that filling to impart flavor to the masa. Exactly. So, yeah. So it has to be usually a slow braise that's very saucy and loaded with flavor would be ideal to fill your tamal. And, you know, let's say that you're doing chile colorado. A lot of black people like to take some of the chile colorado from the meat and mix it into the masa. So then you have like, like another flavor, another layer of flavor. Mm-hmm. And they're like red tamales. You know, at the, during Christmas, you know, tamales are particularly uh, related to Christmas. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, one time Tia Lisa's brother came into the restaurant and he said, near Christmas, and he said, have you made your tamales? Mm-hmm. Because to a Mexican, it's like to an American would be, have you put up your Christmas tree? Mm-hmm. It's very important. But there are specific tamales that we have made at the at the at the house for, for Christmas, which are my grandmother's tamales. They mm. weren't my favorite because I don't like the combination of, of golden raisins and olives. But they have chicken and then they have chile verde. Mm-hmm. I've, got, I've gotten to like them. A lot and and, and they actually, I have the recipe in food from my heart. But it's a really traditional tamal in Sonora only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and look, there's there's a certain uh, a certain convenience of having a tamal. I mean, one could say that you can tr- they're easily portable. You know, if you go to North of Mexico, you have burritos, right? And the burros are just the meat and the braise wrapped in a flour tortilla, and they're easy to transfer, and it's something that's ideal. Uh, a tamal, you can argue, could be that as well. All you need to simply do is kind of reheat it. But they're, they're at their optimum when they're fresh off the steamer and they're ready to rock and roll. There's nothing more magical than that. Um, one other way that I kind of we, we, we've kind of taken this upon ourselves is at, the, you know, we do events and things like that. We like to put the tamal as the base, almost like a polenta would be for an Italian. Right. Exactly. So we would just steam, steam a tamal and then we put a beautiful wild mushroom sort of ragu on top, or we would do a lobster veracruzana on top of the, 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 the actual tamale, let that be the canvas. So you can that's also do that idea. as well. And that's a, it could be a side dish. Yeah. You know, because in, in pre-Hispanic times, they used to serve it with mole. They used to serve the mole in, in platters with no rims, just the rim, but no, no handles, and offer the mole in one hand, and in the other hand offer tortillas and tamales. Mm-hmm. To be dipped into the mole because the mole, the dish was a sauce. Yeah. So I think that's a very good idea of yours. But there are tamales that you use just a masa, you know, like for instance, one of the, my favorite Veracruzan tamales, besides the sacahuil, which we will talk about just in a second, is tamales de masa cocida, where the mm-hmm. masa is, is, you mix it with liquid lard and stir it, stir it, stir it like polenta. Until mm-hmm. it starts separating from the sides of the pot and the little crusty things start to form. You take that, you put it in a casserole. To, that's the original tamal pie. Or you can put it in a banana leaf. With, I'd like to do some sort. And it's the most glorious flavor you can imagine. The masa's already cooked. It takes a little bit of time just to steam them. And you cannot imagine how delicious. And when you make the casserole, you make it in two layers. Mm-hmm. 
And then you, you, you bake it, you know, for the sun, and it's crunchy and delicious on the top. That's a lovely segue, Mom. That's a lovely segue. Okay, so the traditional way, I mean, look, the steaming, uh, you know, you go into supermarkets now, even mainstream uh, general market we call gringo mercados are selling uh, tamaleras. They're selling uh, pots that have a perforated sort of layer on the bottom or a rack that you can actually assemble your tamales in and steam them and do all of that. Like your, like the ones that you have. That I had in, in my now defunct line. Yes, thanks for bringing that up, Mom. I love it. Well, I know, but you know what? what somebody just wrote to me and said that, that they love your tamal pots, that they had one in yellow and one in red. <laughs> Thank you. They were great. And, and it's something that's very beloved. And, you know, it's, and something cool about being Mexican is that, you know, you mentioned Christmas, Mom, right? And I think another reason that they're very popular, especially Mexicans, embrace that because it's, it's something that the whole family can do, right? Like you just mentioned. And we do it for everything. Yeah. And somebody, and you know, one child can be the one that lays out the leaves. Somebody's in charge of the masa. Somebody's in charge of, of, of assembling them in the actual tamalera. So there's, it's a really family-oriented thing. That's why I think it's so beautiful for Christmas. Yeah. And I just love that tradition of having that your big tamale pot in the garage or wherever in the back, and then you know it's time for the holidays when you bring that out, you know? Exactly. It, and it's kind of it's like... So romantic. He, yeah, and it's kind of like here in Louisiana where I live where it's time to make gumbo. Like everybody has this beautiful big brazier or big Dutch oven that they only bring out when it's a holiday to bring to make gumbo. So... I think it's really beautiful, and that's kind of our way of doing it. So, well, you know, tamales are used for every occasion, yeah. particularly wakes. You know, there's and a, weddings, the, the, and the, weddings. The, yeah, the wakes and weddings. But mm -hmm. you know, there's like a story about the man who's dying over there, and, and he calls his grandson and says, "Is that your, your grandmother's tamales? Tell her to give me one." And he comes back and says, "She says no because there, there's not enough for the wake tomorrow." <laughs> Totally. So, yeah. and, and, and you know what? And it's tamales, and for everybody that hasn't made them or is wondering, are, are they challenging to make? No, they're not. And like they're my not. mom said, if you go to Mercados, anywhere in California, for instance, for all our fans and people that are supporting us from there, you know, you can go into a Puerto Vallarta store. You can go into many different stores and buy fresh masa every day. So the convenience factor is definitely there. There's no reasons you shouldn't do it. You can actually buy the braises already done. I mean, it's simple as pie. But one thing that's important to mention is it's like mole. You would never make two quarts of mole. <laughs> no, so and then everything with tamales, you wouldn't just make a dozen. You, you got to make four, five dozen. If you're going to go through all that trouble, you want to make sure you put, make a bunch. They freeze really well. I'd like to freeze them raw because then when you get ready to steam them, you just add a little bit longer. Yeah. So that's the deal. Don't make a couple, make a bunch and have them and enjoy that. Okay? Exactly. Good. So now we come have to talk about the sacahuil. Okay, so the sacahuil. So we, we this this I just kind of got off on a little tangent. We talk about the cooking method, right? Which is traditionally steaming, but there's other ways you can do them, right, mom? And the sacahuil is a very interesting technique that it's used and done with. So can you talk a little bit about the sacahuil? There are two versions. Yes. One of them is made in a pot. And that's on the Huasteca near like Lake Tamawa, Tamiawa. And, and then the other one is on the Huasteca up, 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 up there. It's a tamale that's about six foot long. In what state, mom? It's in, in, uh, Veracruz. In, uh, Veracruz, in Cochabamba, yes. Zacatecas, whatever is next. Anyway, the, the, the Monterrey, yeah, there. 
anyway, so so the the what what I love about the saga wheel is that every part of the plant is used. They take the trunk of the banana plant and they cut it in half, and then they lay it in such a way that it it forms like a like a little basket, like a trough actually, frankly. Then you cover that with lots and lots and lots of banana leaves. Then you you make this masa, which where the is the masa is not ground; it cracked like to the size of small rice. Mm-hmm. And you mix that up with this mix that you have made with ch- with chicken stock or some other really flavorful stock, mm-hmm. and uh, and and then the chile colorado or whatever adobo you decide to make. Usually, it's some sort of chile colorado. Then you put like big hunks of meat, like pork butt, a whole chicken, a whole duck, whatever you want in this thing. You, and then you add the masa to, to cover, and then you roll it up very, very tightly, tie it up with the strings of banana, uh, the banana leaf, and put it in an oven for 12 hours. What they do there in the Huasteca is they, when the bakers are finished cooking their bread for the day, people bring the sacahuiles and they put them in the oven and they're there till the morning. And then in the morning you can go have that for breakfast. Mm-hmm. But but you can't do that. Most people cannot make a true sacawil here unless you happen to have an, an outside oven and, and a huge stove. But you can make a tamal de olla. So you do exactly the same thing. You know, you make the masa with the cracked corn, with the salsa, with the, the melted lard. And then you put it in a pot lined with a lot of banana leaves. Put the whole chicken, the, the big hunk of pork, whatever you want to fill it with. Cover it really tightly with banana leaves and put it in a, three, in a 200, 250 or 275 oven for eight hours. And then, and then you just get, then it comes out and you cannot imagine that smell and that flavor. It's like a porridge. It's this most wonderful thing. Yeah. And, and, and I get it. For all those that are listening, if you have like a pizza oven, for instance, right? Oh, that's right. Which I, a lot of people have. That's a perfect application to put the sacawil in. You know, you put sort of the embers in there, you cover it, you cover the lid of your pizza oven and let it go uh, overnight or whatever. And um, and, and I think it'll come out magical. And also, there, who's to say you couldn't put it in a smoker for all of our barbecue people out there? I you know, know. It, it, in a smoker, a lot of, you know, you can keep large, uh, large things cooking for an extended amount of time. And I think that might be a good way to also impart some flavor. I have to ask my, my uh, niece because they do that. Mm-hmm. And, and Isabel and Felix do that. They put it in the smoker. Yeah. You know, I like anything smoked. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I, that's why I brought it up, Mom. <laughs> that's, that's why I brought it up because you know we're trying to make you, we're trying to make the the the, the world of tamales accessible to as many people as we can. Well, and let's talk you, about dessert tamales. Dessert tamales. Okay, we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, look, I, I, they're not as common. I, I think sometimes they're looked at, they're looked upon as sort of a little bit of a novelty thing. Yeah, but um, they're not. But I know, but they, but talking about regions and where you can find sweet tamales, I don't. It's not something a lot of people I think gravitate personally. Um, the pineapple ones that Raquel makes in Veracruz are fantastic. Well, yes, mom, like, but they're not uh, something that I think people a lot of people associate. But you're right; they do exist and they are popular. Okay. Yeah. Let's the, talk. So pineapple. At the right. Can you go as far as put chocolate? With your masa, absolutely. I guess good. Why not? Chocolate absolutely. Over the, you know, at the what the ones that we made at the ranch had anise seed and those pink pine nuts. Mm-hmm. You know that they, they are just to die. 
I mean, they're just so fantastic. As you can imagine, I'll have to make them soon. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, look, if you wanted to make, if you wanted to make a sweet tamale, just things that are coming up to me right now, you know, you, you can, you can soak, you can soak, uh, you know, fruit in, in sort of a mezcal, sugary substance, in like, almost like a syrup. Let that be part of a filling as well. That's totally possible. You can kind of play with the dry fruit cheese element, almost like a cheese course kind of combined in with, uh, with, with dessert. There's many ways you can do it. Um, but I think, yeah, you're right. I think it's, I think it's become something that people don't necessarily do all the time. Uh, I've done chocolate, I've done chocolate tamales before and they've come out, they've come out great. When I went to Oaxaca this last time, I ate them at this most extraordinary restaurant called Levadura de Olla. Mm -hmm. And one of the courses were these tamales and banana leaves. They had no fat in them. It was a vegetarian place. And they had mixed the dough so, 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 so much, you know, just, I guess, with salt or something, and maybe tomatillo or, or the casquite. And then it was just laid on the banana leaves and steamed, you know, with, with, uh, with the masa, you know, with the, some sort of filling that, I think it was chile, chile rajas. And then the, the tamal just comes out of this delicious little crust. Mm. I mean, it's not, it's not fluffy like the other one, but it's, so succulent because it has all the oils of the banana leaf and then it has the, the chili. It was so amazing. So you, so if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, you can still make tamales. Absolutely. We, we're not, we're not uh, insisting upon having lard in, in, in your tamales. So please, you know, be aware of that. And there's ways of doing it. And if you have any comments and questions, please make sure that you, that you do that because at HRN, we are very much aware of taking good care of you guys and, and answering all the questions you have. You have to use not just my mom and I as a resource, but all of the wonderful podcasts that Heritage Radio Network has uh, broadcasting. So we really, really want you to kind of engage with us. That, and if you have anything that we haven't covered or any questions, please, the, the conversation doesn't end here. Okay. This, you know, like I, I forgot to say one thing, you know, they say you can fill the tomatoes with anything, but not with chivo, which is goat. Yeah. Because because the, 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 because when they say that somebody went out on you, somebody was on Facebook, they say, hicieron de chivo los tamales. Yeah, yeah, they, exactly. They made, they made your tamales with chivo, with goat. Yeah, absolutely. It's part of the saying. Absolutely. Um, I love the way you I love the way you host this program, honey. You're so professional. I'm so proud of you. You keep me in you keep me in order. My mind my mind in order. I think that. I think that we did cover a lot of stuff. You know, I think this tamales is an endless subject. I agree, and, and I think we just we just scraped the surface. To be honest, hopefully we can come back and and maybe dive a little bit deeper as far as maybe a regional uh, uh, look at at some of the you know places in Mexico that you, you, we brought up Veracruz. I'm sure we can do a whole episode just on well, tamales Chiapas. and Veracruz. Chiapas or, is known for the tamales. You yeah, know, Chiapas is known, especially. I mean, even Michoacan, for the most part. I mean, you know, they they, they have a, a beautiful culture of of, of, um, of tamales there as well. So in Chiapas, every afternoon at five in in, in Corso, Chiapa de Corso, you know where the entrance to that beautiful canyon, the Sumidero, is. Mm -hmm. Women come at five o'clock and bring up to twenty different kinds of tamales. Mm. It's it's worth a trip to Chiapas just to do that. They have tamales that are the size of a finger. They're called tamales reales, to all sorts of flavors and everything. So that's we have to make maybe a, a study of that because there's not that much to talk about Chiapas food. 
I'm going to make a little trip, Mom, and we'll get to the bottom of this mystery. Okay. Uh, well, you know, since we're coming, coming concluding um, to this wonderful episode and, and beginning of our wonderful season four of Cooking in Mexican from A to Z and, of course, on Heritage Radio Network, um, let's talk a little bit about some projects you're currently working on, Mom, so everyone that's listening can kind of get, uh, get into uh, a way to support that. So what do you have That's going great. on? Right what now? I'm working on is a new book based on, on one of my uh, one of my classic techniques of building blocks. And it's going to have like hints about how, how to do in the kitchen. I'm going to steal some of your ideas like like dehydrating the, the, the remains of the mole and using that as a seasoning. And I'm going to I want people to send me their, their shortcuts for stuff. It's gonna it's gonna be really really cool, you know. It's gonna have all sorts of techniques for cooking to make it easy for you. So that's what I'm working on. I dedicate my life to this podcast that means so much to me, and that I thank HRN for having us do it because it allows me to learn so much from the people who we have on here, and just doing the research, you know, which is so much fun for me to remember everything, and and I'm happy that I still remember a lot a lot of things, mm-hmm. and. The, and then I'm working on a big birthday celebration at the ranch. Yes, exactly. We talked about it when we saw each other this past week, which was a lovely visit that we have. You know, sadly, I live in New Orleans. You live in New York. So we don't have a chance to see each other as much as we would like to. But yes. Uh, well, how about you? You have so much stuff going on. I don't know how you, li- I don't know how you stand doing so many different things. No, right now I just look. I, the thing I'm most excited about right now is that I've merged with our dear friend Emerald Lagasse. Mom, my foundation is merged with him, and now uh, you know the last f- four years we've been calling it the Aaron Sanchez Scholarship Fund. Now we're changing our focus to the Aaron Sanchez Impact Fund, which opens up uh, our 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 help and our our aid to many different kinds of pockets of of Latinos around the country. So we're going to start to be able to extend scholarships to migrant farm workers' children, to at-risk kids, uh, to military children. So all this, so we're going to start to really open this up and perhaps uh, start to have seed money for, for different businesses, which I think would be really great as well. But here we are. So yeah, a lot of fun stuff coming down the road. And, uh, you know, who knows? I think I'm, I'm very getting very close to, to doing a tequila, which I'm very excited about. I just came back from Guadalajara last week and uh, I had I had a really great experience down there and I forget how magical Jalisco is and it's just uh it's it's one of the most emblematic states of Mexico. I think, you know, it's the birthplace of tequila, of mariachi, of all these different elements that are so associated with Mexican culture. And uh, it's just when you go there and you mom, you went to school in Guadalajara. So I went you know, to the university there and I went yeah, to finishing so. school there. Yeah, it's it's a magical place. So, um, and everyone's so beautiful there too. Oh, you see, me. Um, and tall. And tall. <laughs> exactly. Well, I hope everyone's enjoyed this this deep dive into tamales. Um, I know it's not easy to maybe uh, talk about all the different styles and varietals, and I don't want to. Uh, and I also want to make sure that. You know, I we are aware of all the different styles of tamales in Latin America. All my Venezuelans with 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 the ayacas, all my gente in Colombia, 
Everybody in Central America who has their own versions of, of, of tamales, we are aware of them. If you go to Puerto Rico, they make pasteles. You know, there's there's Cuban tamales. I mean, there's so much out there to be embraced in this particular sort of genre of, of Latin cooking. So we do love them. We do support it. We just, you know, right now we're, our focus is on, on, on Mexican-style tamales. So. And we t- I think we discussed today how to uh, what they are, mm-hmm. how to make it, how to make the basic masa. Mm-hmm. And from there on, and the, the what type of fillings and, 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 and wrappings. And from there on, we can develop because we showed them how to do the basic technique, I think. I agree, Mom. Like, oh, one thing we didn't talk about, what? how long do you steam them? Oh. I like, and I think that's an important part because you don't want to oversteam or understeam. So I just want to let everybody know. I This is what I do. Okay, you can tell me different, but I'm a 35-minute 30 minute to 45 minute, depending on the heat for my tamales. That's where I like to keep I, I agree. 30 I agree. to 45 minutes, depending on the size, obviously. And then hold them. Uh, you know, uh, I like to put a little wet, a wet towel over mine or wet rag over mine and then and hold them like that. And you that. know how you can tell if they're done? You take out a tamal and if the dough separates a little bit from the husk, they're done. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Very good point, baby. And and like like we say, este arroz ya se coció, and these tamales are all cooked. And yeah. it's been a pleasure to be with you again, baby. If I don't see you here, I can't see you that often. <laughs> don't worry. We're going to be coming up with a, uh, uh, some beautiful episodes this season, season four of Cooking in Mexico from A to Z on Heritage Radio Network. I want everybody to stay tuned. We have a really beautiful roster of guests that are going to be coming down shortly to share with all of you their wonderful knowledge of Mexican ingredients, cooking, techniques, culture, um, and personal stories, obviously. So all of that's going to be included in this wonderful season. So we, we are very grateful for your continued support, for allowing us to have another season. So we, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Muchísimas gracias. Uh, es un honor estar aquí con ustedes. Hasta luego. Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is powered by Simple Cast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without your support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Central.